Good morning, friends. Beloved family of First Presbyterian Church, my name's Erin Johnson. I'm a member of this church. I'm currently under care of this session as an inquirer for ordination. And it's a joy to be with you in worship this morning. And it's an honor to be with you to share good news today. When I was 18 years old, I lived up on Haste in Unit 2 in the dorms. And I picked up a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I picked it up at Cody's Books down on Telegraph. Anybody here remember Cody's Books? All right, all right, my pupil, my pupil. So all my roommates were out, I was alone, the room was dark, and I read these words. Supposing God became a man. Suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was amalgamated with God's nature in one person, then that person could help us. I read, he pays our debt and suffers for us, what he himself need not suffer at all. I thought, could it be true that he really and truly was a man? Really and truly was God? Really and truly died? Really and truly rose from the grave for us? Could it be true? And what if it is? Tears were streaming down my face. Now, here the disciples are, gathered in this dark and closed up room on Sunday night. No one knows what's going on out there. They're hiding out, as Pastor Charlene said last week, in a safe house. The rabbi they left everything to follow was supposed to be sitting on a throne right now. Instead, he was arrested, was tried, was beaten, was crucified and was buried. It was not supposed to end like this. Now Mary Magdalene says she saw him this morning, right there in the garden by the tomb. He called her name. What do you make of that? Could it be true? And what if it is? And then suddenly Jesus is there in the room. He doesn't need to use the door. I am the door, he told them in John 10:7. Peace, he says, and he shows them his wounds so they'll know it's really him. It is true. The disciples rejoice. Then he breathes on them and says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I know many of you know that the word used in this text, spirit, doesn't mean anything otherworldly. It means breath. This is the spirit the breath that moved over the water when all was formless and void in Genesis 1. This is the breath that God breathed into the first human in Genesis 2. Received the very breath that first gave life. The breath that has sustained every life since then. He gives that to the disciples. This is the Pentecost moment of John's whole gospel. Then he tells the disciples they'll receive power to do what only God can do. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. These people are now set apart to continue Jesus' work. As the Father has sent me, 
so I send you. What if it's true? Well, if it's true, the very spirit of God, the very breath of God is available to us through our relationship with Christ. As followers, disciples of Jesus, we have access to incredible power to do what Jesus himself does, to forgive sin, to mend what is broken. He sends us out of that room to do those things. Those of us in seminary are being sent out, out into hospitals to be with sick and heartbroken people, out into churches where most of the pews are empty, out of the tidy faith that used to fit us like our favorite jeans. And each one of you, First Press family, as followers of Jesus, are being sent out too, out into your coworkers, into that tense family gathering, out into your children who make bath time and bedtime stretch on and on and on, and out into that patio right out there to be the presence of God where before there was just a closed up, dark little room. Thomas misses the whole thing. He hears what happened, but that's not good enough for him. Jesus, risen from the dead, could it be true? And what if it is? That would mean nothing would ever be the same again. So very reasonably, he says, I'll believe it when I see it, guys. I wonder if he prayed like I did, Jesus, if it is true, would you show me who you are? It took 12 years from what I heard in the dorm on haste to the day I was baptized right here. I felt so exposed that day in front of all of you. I left the kids with grandma. My husband was there in the narthex on his work break and Pastor Debbie drizzled the water over my head and I couldn't stop the tears. Just like then and just like now. <laughs> now why did it take 12 years between hearing and I believe? Thomas gets it. No one changes their life because of a secondhand account. No one changes their life because of a rumor they heard. No matter how good it is, we have to know for ourselves that it's true. Because if it is, well, there are implications. If it's true, everything we think we know has to be subverted. If it's true, that would mean the laws of nature where everything dies just, what, don't apply? If it's true, that would mean the whole system we're inside of, the whole game we're playing is built on faulty assumptions? Are we really gonna overturn that because somebody said they saw Jesus? Come on. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas makes sure he's there next time. He's not gonna miss this again. Again, the doors are shut. Again, Jesus comes. No door needed.
peace, he says. And then he speaks directly to Thomas. It's like no one else is there. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. We aren't told if Thomas actually does it. All we know is what it says next. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Maybe just seeing the wounds was enough. Maybe the fact that Jesus knew already what he had said, unless I see the mark and put my finger in, and then repeated those exact words back to Thomas, maybe that was proof enough for him. But we do know this. Thomas says something that no one else has said before, that no one else says in the entire Gospel of John. My Lord and my God. Not just my Lord, my Lord and my God. Did he really just say that? The disciples call him Lord. Martha called him the Son of God. But no one in John's Gospel has addressed him as God. Could it be true? What if it is? If it is true, then what has broken into the room is the one holy and all-powerful God of creation. If it is true, then this God was also a human who became one with other humans. If it is true, then God was arrested, God was beaten and flogged, was nailed to a cross, was hung between two criminals, and really truly died there. You could be good all your life and never dare to ask the question, never dare to see for yourself, and you would miss it. My Lord and my God. One of my fellow seminarians under care here told me, you know, when we go to seminary, everyone says we're gonna lose our faith. And then he said, was I disoriented? Yes. Did I need to leave behind some childish things? Yes. But my doubting and my questioning, he said, led to Jesus showing up in new and profound ways. He didn't abandon me for doubting. The opposite, he said. He invited me to put my finger in his side and see for myself. We seminarians are people seeing for ourselves with our Greek and our Hebrew and our exegesis classes. We wanna know who this person is who breaks into the sealed up places where there are no doors, who broke out of the sealed up tomb. And this full community of First Press is a community seeing for itself. What if it's true? Some of you are new to gathering in person. Some of you are new to our church. Some of you are maybe new to this whole idea of what if it's true. And I wanna say to you, we're so glad you're here with your doubts and your questions. Some of us are not so new to gathering here and we too wrestle with who Jesus is. We do this in our small groups and we do this in hard conversations and even in the wounds we leave on each other as a family of God. We demand to know for ourselves. You can see it in the This Is Crucial podcast and in the way the word has been proclaimed from this pulpit with integrity and intellectual rigor from generation to generation. We see it in the work Rick is leading around Radical Welcome. Could it be true? What if it is true? 
what must we do about it? John closes by saying, he has written all this down, this whole gospel account, why? So that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Life in Jesus' name. What if it's true? Then that means not life in my name, my profile picture, my accomplishments, my plans, not anymore. We've been given the life-giving breath of God. We've been invited into new life, life in his name. My prayer for we seminarians and for we, the whole community of First Press Berkeley, is that we will get to know for ourselves, or know again for ourselves, that it is true. The very God of creation has given God's very self out of love for us to bring us near to God. That this God in the person of Christ breaks right into our safe space, right into the most walled up, sealed up places how will we respond? Will we recognize him and rejoice? Will we ask him to convince us? Will we name him my Lord and my God? This Jesus breathes into us his very spirit, giving us new life in his name. We no longer need to play small. We're invited to play full out in the assurance that Jesus himself gives his followers the power to do what he does, to lay down our safe, closed up lives in our own names so we can receive a life that is more juicy, more abundant, more joyful than anything we could have imagined. The life Jesus himself lives and that if it's true, is ours to receive and to live today and forever, amen.